If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 30, if you don't have a Bible, you'll find in the bulletin that text will be printed out for you, and in a few moments you'll also see that it's on the screen for you as well. When things go from bad to impossible, this week I had the painful privilege of sitting with a friend whose life has really come undone. Again, it's, it's been kind of uh, difficult to watch because it hasn't all unraveled at once. It's kind of over a year or two just slowly unraveling. And it just felt like this week we just kind of, we had to hit rock bottom. I mean, he's, he's had a death in his immediate family and the, the pain of loss of that. Uh, children that have been in rebellion and the pain and, uh, associated with that. Job issues. Now marriage issues. And just get to the point where we say, really God? Is there a little piling on going here? I mean, what's, what's happening? Is there some light here? Can you throw us a bone? Because it looked like things went from bad to right past worse, right to impossible. You've been there. What do you do? What do you do when life goes from bad to impossible? I mean, do you work harder? You know, pull yourself up by the bootstrap, say, I mean, it's going to go into this storm and work a little bit more and try a little harder or be a little bit better or be a little bit more religious or something. For those of you who have that propensity, you know, it probably won't last too long. What do you do? Do you quit? You get to the point where you're just like, oh, forget it. I mean, life is so unfair. I mean, how can I find myself in this situation? Quit. Maybe quit your marriage. Maybe quit your hope with your kids. I mean, maybe quit your job. You quit. What we usually do is isolate. Usually when the brokenness is so great, we usually have a propensity to do the wrong thing, and that is get away from others and and just kind of marinate in self-pity and isolate ourselves from one another and even from God. I got to tell you, in life, what I've seen, especially from the lenses of a pastor, is when things go from bad to impossible, we have one or two choices. We either run away from God or we run to God. We run to God and say, God, how do we make sense of all of this? Well, what do we need to do? Well, as God's people, we need to look to God's word. He's given us a a word of God that's holy, that will not lead us astray. We need to look to God's word and say, help us in the midst of this storm. And today what we're going to do is this. We're going to look at King David's life. We're going to look at his life and his moment of from worst to impossible. And we're going to see what God has for us and how God will point us to the hope of the gospel and the hope of Christ through the life of David in this amazing text. Well, let me give you a little background to David. For some of you, this will be very familiar background. For some of you who may be new to uh, Christianity or the story of the Bible, let me give you a little background to a guy named David who will become king, uh, King David. He was the youngest son of Jesse. Uh, How many youngest are here? I don't know about you, but I'm the youngest. I think God usually saves the best for last, right? Uh, Certainly, it seems that way with David. Uh, Those of you who aren't youngest, I'm sorry. I know you want to be, but this was David. Uh, The youngest son with some pretty uh, strong brothers, a very strong family. He was a shepherd boy. What do you picture with shepherd boy? Uh, Sometimes you might picture, uh, you know, a little spindly leg little kid that's out there tending the nice little sheep and the lambs. This isn't David. 
Scripture tells us about David. He was a shepherd boy. And when the lions and the bears came, you ready for this? He killed them with his bare hands. I mean, this is a stud. I mean, this is, this is a warrior. I mean, this is someone that doesn't, you don't want to mess with. And this is, uh, this is David. He's anointed to be the king of Israel. The greatest prophet of his day, a guy named Samuel, came to him and uh, his family said, David, you're the one. You're the one that God has chosen to lead my people. You have a heart for God. And, and God has anointed him to be in the biggest, most powerful position in all the world, representing God as king to his people. Can you imagine that anointing? That's who this guy was. He was a warrior. Uh, he was a warrior, a shepherd boy who killed a giant named Goliath. Uh, all he needed was a slingshot and a rock. Um, it was amazing, but he knew it wasn't about his strength. He says, I come in the name of the Lord, and the Lord will give me victory. He was such a warrior that they'd sing about him. They'd have songs about him. They'd sing to the current king, Saul, said, that guy's pretty good. But David, man, he's killed thousands. This guy is the ultimate warrior. Not only that, he's, he's like this poet. He's a musician. He's good looking. Uh, he's a guy that really had it all. As a matter of fact, we call him probably the first Renaissance man. I mean, this is the Renaissance man, David, skilled musician, warrior, poet, handsome. Listen to what God's word says about him in 1 Samuel 16, 18. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skilled in playing, uh, playing music, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Talk about a resume builder, huh? Not bad to have that thing with you. Have it all. And by the way, God's hand is on you. Man, can you have more than that? But King David was jealous. I'm sorry, King Saul, the current king, was jealous of David. Usually happens when we see someone who's so gifted. We usually see them and we see our own inadequacies. That's what Saul did. And he was jealous of David and he tried to kill him numerous times. So David, this, this hero, this giant killer, this heir apparent to the throne, has to become a fugitive in his own land. The king of Israel is after him. So he's driven from his home, and he's a man on the run who lives in the wilderness. He's got to go live with his enemies. And as he lives with his enemies, everybody knows the song, David killed his thousands. He killed us. Let's kill him. So as he's in this wilderness, you know what he's got to do? He's got to, like, pretend to be insane. He lets like his spittle go all over his beard and he acts out of his mind and so they won't kill him. They'll say, this is David? This is Goliath's killer? This dude's whacked. Let's not worry about him. He had, to, he had to put up a false front that he was actually going and killing God's people when he lived with the enemies. He led them to believe that, you know what? I'm really for you when he really was really for God. But things had gone from bad to worse for David. And they're about to go from bad to impossible. So this is where we pick up the story today. We see David, who is the anointed to be king uh, of, of Israel, and yet uh, he's been driven in to uh, the enemy territory. And we pick up the story, we'll see his life go from bad to impossible. Let's listen to God's holy and errant word in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Now, when David and his men came back to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziglag. They had overcome Ziglag and burned it with fire. This is where David and his men had built their homes. And taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. 
They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the, to the city, they found it was burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. Picture going to your home and seeing embers. Picture hearing the word that your spouse, your children are captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. Have you been there? David's two wives had also been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abahathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod, which is something that a priest would wear in the presence of the Lord. So Abahathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord. He prayed, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for, he shall sure, for you shall surely overtake, and you shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Bezor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Bezor. How exhausted men would you be if you are in pursuit of your family and you can't go on? They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink. They gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten it, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. Don't you love God's word? Why in the world do they tell us the menu? I have no idea why it was important what they gave him, but they wanted to tell us what he had. I just love the color of this. And David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? He says, I'm a young man from Egypt servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. There's a nice guy. We made a raid against the Negev of the Suchanites and, uh, and against those that would belong to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag with fire. And David said, will you take me down to this band? And he said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master and I will take you down to this band. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped, well, except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. Remember, 400 against all of them who didn't escape. We don't know how many. They said not anybody escaped except for 400. So this had to be a huge crowd. Well, David, listen, David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing. Whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all. 
David also captured all the flocks and herds. And the people drove the livestock before him. And they said, this is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David. And who had been left at the brook Bezor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. They all, then uh, all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead his wife and children and depart. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hands the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is he who goes into the battle, so shall the share be with he who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, what an amazing story of rescue. What an amazing story of a time in David's life when things went from bad to impossible. When those closest to him after he lost everything said, let's kill him. We see your grace. We see your mercy. We see your strength. And we see your glory. That, Father, that you were gracious and you rescued all. Father, we ask that the Spirit of Jesus would come and rescue us all again today from our own brokenness, from our sinfulness, especially to those who right now sit here feeling like life has gone from bad to worse to impossible. Oh, God, come and speak. Give us ears to hear your voice, Jesus. Father, give us minds to understand your word. Father, for your glory and grace, would you give us hearts that believe in your truth and the work of your Son? Would you lovingly break our hearts that are stony cold with sin or unbelief? And would you give us hearts that beat for you and you alone? Father, I pray that each one of us would be able to leave here amazed at your grace and your love and your mercy to us. And each one of us would be empowered in our feet to walk in your truth, in your mercy, for your glory. The things that I say that are merely my opinion are wrong. May those things quickly be forgotten and fall away. The things that I say that are true and contain the good news of Jesus, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with my outline, it's in the bulletin for you. The first thing we're going to start off is this. When things go from bad to impossible, those first six verses. I mean, here's David's life. I mean, how bad can it get? Right? He's on the run. He's a fugitive. The king is trying to kill him. Everybody seems to uh, want a piece of him. And yet now when he comes back home, he sees the charred remains of his house, his belongings gone, his wife taken captive, his kids kidnapped. Can you imagine? I mean, the depth of that brokenness. I mean, these men, and these are, these are men of war. How often do you see a man cry? How often do you see him wail? It's a, it's a horrific scene to see a man wail. I've seen it. And, and these men of, of war, I mean, they're, they're so broken. And the Hebrew wants us to know that they were, they were wailing with tears, 
wailing with the bitterness of the reality that, that all that they had was gone. They, they, they cried until they had no more strength to cry. Have you been there? Have you seen that? Have you experienced brokenness to that depth where you don't even have the strength to weep anymore? From bad to worse. What a horrible situation. But for David, it was going to get even worse. Because the reality of his home being destroyed and his children being kidnapped and his wives being kidnapped was not enough. Now the closest to him turned on him and said, let's stone him. Let's kill him. This is David. Didn't we put our hope in him? I mean, this is David. Wasn't he supposed to have God's promises associated with him? This is David. Isn't he supposed to be protecting us? This is David. Let's kill him. What would you do in that situation? Rock bottom. You see, it's not just a situation. We've got to see that God's promises seem to be in jeopardy here too. It seems like God's promises seem to be failing here. As we read the story of the Bible, we say, whoa, 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 God, what are you doing? Hold the hole. Stop. This is your anointed one. I mean, this is the one who's supposed to come. I mean, this is the king that was promised. I mean, this is David. Are your promises failing him? Is he about ready to finally die, even at the hands of his own? Isn't it that the hardest times in our life, and those moments of impossible, that you're just hanging on to God's promises. He's just like, God, can I trust you? I mean, God, are you really there? God, are you really true? And, and, and I love the reality that God gives us the freedom of his children to, to wrestle with that and to, to ask that question. And I want you to know that's how merciful God is. You read through the Psalms and you realize that when we get in those situations, the psalmist will cry out, how long, O oh Lord, how long? Are you going to forget me forever? But we know the reality is, is that God's promises won't fail and our God will not fail and we will see what he does to bless David. Put your, put your feet in the sandals of those who were hearing the story for the first time. And those who were hoping that David was it. And just the pain, not only their pain, but the pain and disappointment they put in men. So what do you do? What do you do when things go from bad to impossible? The second thing, find strength in the impossible. Where do we find strength in the impossible? We strengthen ourselves in the Lord. What did David do? He strengthened himself in the Lord. First of all, you find strength in the right person. And that right person isn't you. When things get bad, it's not this. This is how we typically think. Things are bad, I gotta get better. Things are bad, I gotta work harder. Things are bad, I gotta figure a way out of this mess on my own. I gotta strengthen myself up for this fight. That's not what God is calling you to do. That's not Christianity. God says in our lives, he is our strength. He is our security. He is our foundation. He is our joy. We strengthen ourselves in the name of the Lord. I realize in my own life, not only do I try to strengthen myself and, and with myself, it's also often with Katie, my wife. For the 26 years of marriage, so many times, uh, so grateful for one I could lean on. But so often, even in the last few years of, of, of counseling, to realize how much am I trying to find my identity in her? How much I'm trying to find my security in her? How much I try to strengthen myself through her and how unfair. Listen, where are you going to turn to find strength? 
God and God alone is the one that we turn to, to find our strength, to be reminded of our identity, to be reminded of his power, his goodness to us. Find your strength in him. Secondly, praying before acting. What did David do when a bottom fell out? He inquired of the Lord. What would you do? I'll tell you what I'd do. I come home and my house is burned down and someone stole my kids. I'm going like nuts. I'm going like Jojo the circus clown. I'm going to just go after whoever. I'm going to probably go first, think second, and pray third. You know, as I'm probably tearing out of the house, going who knows where, trying to do who knows what, probably saying a quick prayer, God, will you please help me and bless me? But that's not what David does. David, when the bottom dropped out, says, you know what? I got to get still and I got to get quiet. And I need to hear from the Lord. The question you probably have in your mind is, well, good for David. He had this priest guy handy. He had this, uh, this, this, this thing that the priest could wear to hear from the Lord. How are we to hear from the Lord? I, mean, I don't have a priest next door to you, and I, I can't go. And how do we know what God is telling us to do? I think the answer that we have to see as Christians living today is in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1 uh, says this. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, these days that we live in too, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom all things the world was also created. Here's the point I want to make to you. Where do we go when we inquire the Lord? How do we inquire the Lord? How do we know what to do when when life is, is falling apart? How do we turn to the Lord? We have his word. We have his word. It's a complete word of God that we can trust. We turn to this. We have, if we're his, the Holy Spirit inside of us, and we communicate with one another. We don't go to a particular person wearing a particular piece of garment to hear from the Lord. We get on our knees. We say, God, reveal things to me. I got to tell you something as a pastor. It's amazing to me how many people I hear who say they've heard from the Lord, and they've heard a word from the Lord they're so confident in that it contradicts God's word. I've heard people look at me in the eyes and say, I'm just convinced that God's called me to divorce my spouse. Look me in the eyes and say, it's okay for me to live in a relationship with this person without being married because it just feels so right. I just know God is in it. Let me tell you something about God. He's an amazing God. He's so good and he's so graceful. He's so loving. But he never changes. He doesn't change. Your circumstances are not going to change God. And his commandments and his word And so we got to find ourselves in obedience to it and humble ourselves and and find the promises of God and live our lives under his authority. Well, what did David do? He strengthened himself in the Lord. He prayed before he acted and he leaned on the promises of God. I mean, God gave him, can you imagine the the message that God gave him? He said this, go, go and rescue. You're going to get them all. Can you imagine the joy he had when he would mounted the horses and said, let's go. God is with us. God is for us. God has promised us that we are going to be successful. So in those moments when life gets impossible, we too need to rely on the promises of God. What are they? Well, when I sat with a friend who was so broken, I reminded him that. I said, you know what we can't forget here? We can't forget the beginning and we can't forget the ending. Let me just spend a minute with that with you. And so the beginning of this, the beginning of faith in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is by God's grace where we're called new creations. 
For those of us like me who have realized that a sinner like me has been separated from a holy God, but what Christ Jesus has come to rescue me, and by God's grace, me putting my faith in him as my Lord and Savior, that God has made me a new creation. I can't forget the beginning. Because what God says is that new creation of you and me in Christ Jesus. Are you ready for this? He says that our sins have been separated from us as far as the east is from the west. He says that Christ Jesus has become our sin. He says that his blood has been shed for our sin, that we have been cleansed in the blood of Christ. He says that we are robed in Christ's righteousness. He says that we are now his children, children of God, and he'll never change his mind about us. We can never forget the beginning of God's grace in our story, of who we are positionally in Christ Jesus. Because you know what? It'll never change. What great news. In the midst of your life and all the troubles, look back if you are his and realize the joy of what God has done for you. He didn't just clean you up. He made you his own. We can't forget the end of the story. The end of the story is this, is that all those that the Father has chosen before time began, all those that Jesus came and rescued, you ready for this? All of us will one day be perfected in Christ Jesus. Scripture says, when we see Jesus, we will be like him, and we will no longer be able to cry, and we'll no longer be able to sin, and we'll no longer be able to be diagnosed with cancer, and our families will no longer be able to fall apart, and we will no longer struggle. And glorification is that we will become like him. And here's the reality. For all who begin in Christ Jesus, he will be faithful to complete that process. Here's the deal for you. If by God's grace, you are a child of God through faith in him, one day you will become like him. And there's not one of you who will not reach that place we got to continue to remind ourselves at the beginning. We are declared not guilty in Christ Jesus. Holy God sees us not guilty in Jesus. And one day we are going to be like him. But now we live in the in-betweens. Those are the promises, my brothers and sisters, that we lean on. Those are the promises that we cling to. That is where we live our lives. Because we live our lives right now, that time between what we call justification, being declared not guilty in Christ, and glorification, becoming like him when he returns. Is this thing called sanctification. And let me tell you something. It's an up and down roller coaster ride of life. You can turn on your TV and you might find somebody who can fill the stadium up with preaching. And he might tell you that you can find your best life now. And he might tell you that your best life can be right now. If you give enough, do enough, and whatever enough, you can have it right now. But I want to tell you, that's not what God's word says. God's word says you can have life and life abundantly now. Amazingly, right at this very moment, you could be forever declared not guilty in holy God's eyes solely through the work of Jesus Christ. Amazing. Right now, you can have life and life, life, and life abundantly. But I'm telling you, right now, you're going to have trials and tribulations. If you want to live a godly life, God's word says you're going to be persecuted. And you think this world is easy? I mean, this, this life is not for wimps. And the best life is not now. We're not with Jesus yet, physically, reality. We haven't reached glorification. There's more to come. So we live our lives in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the brokenness, wondering how in the world can things go from bad to impossible with the hope of our starting point and the promise of the ending point and just clinging to the promises of God and knowing in the meantime, listen, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
Nothing will ever separate you from my love. Nothing will ever snatch you out of my hands. There's not a circumstance in your life. There's not anything that's going to be able to ultimately define you. God says, I will. The gospel will. I will set you free. I lose none. Knowing the beginning, remembering the end, and living in the hope of the gospel. The rescue of us all. Third point, verses 11 through 21. Um, Did you guys see the crash? I mean, I'm sure you saw the pictures of the crash in San Francisco. Uh, How do you pronounce it? Airline? Asiana or something like that. Can you imagine just three people died in that? What an incredible safe landing and and, and something went so bad. You look at that plane and the burned, charred remains of the plane and split in two and the people who came out the back and you realize only three died in that? That's a pretty amazing rescue, is it not? And then you hear the sad reality that one died in the rescue. I mean, just run over. Can you imagine surviving a plane crash and being run over by the fire, fire truck? But I tell you, 300 people and some plus survived. That's a pretty amazing number. What do you think David would have been thankful for with the odds he had? You think he would have taken three? But God is this. He says, you're not going to lose any. I love what God's word. He says, listen, nothing will be missing. Did you hear that? Nothing will be missing. I mean, this is, this is pointing to Jesus and what he has done for us. This is pointing to the reality of who we are in Christ Jesus. This is pointing to the reality that before time began, God the Father and God the Son, realizing that we would be in rebellion to God, made a decision together that they would come and rescue, that Jesus would come and rescue the lost. That for some reason it pleased the Father, holy God, to love sinners like us. And for some reason he has this eternal love for us and he can't stop loving us. And the love is so great that he demonstrates it, that he says to his son, go and rescue them all. And Jesus says, I love them too. And Father, I'm going to obey you. And of course, I will become one of them. I'll still maintain being God, but I'll become man. And I will go and rescue them. And here's what scripture says, that the Father has given all of his church, all of the sheep to Jesus. And Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. I didn't lose any. None will be missing. What an amazing hope of our loving Father that he rescues all of his lost sheep. What hope we have in him. What the reality is, is this, is now that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Do you know that? Do you know that whatever circumstance you are in, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ Jesus? It's true. So what he endured on the cross, that scripture says nothing can snatch us out of God's hands, not even your own sin. I just think about that and say, God, you tell us that, that nothing will be able to separate us from your love, not, not heights or depths, not demons nor power. What about my own brokenness? What about the times that I, I live like I don't even know you? What about the things that I've done? Really, it won't separate me from you. And the scripture and the gospel reminds me there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that will separate us from the love of the Father. Does it get better than that, my friends? The better than that, we realize that no circumstance we can find ourselves in will drive us away. None will be lost. The victory has begun in Christ Jesus. It's not finalized. He is making all things new. He hasn't made all things new yet, but he will, and none will be lost. The rescue of us all. And lastly, the blessing of us all. What kind of king shares everything 
with those who couldn't even go on. You know, here they are. He's driving back, and they come out and say, listen, this, this is David's plunder. This is, this is David's. And he's like, no, it's not. It's God's. I have nothing on my own. This is God's. And he goes to those who had to feel like baggage. They were so weak that they just stood by their stuff while their kids and their wives were taken captive. And there were those who whispered in his ear and said, listen, don't share with them. They're wimps. Don't share with them. They're not strong enough. They're not good enough. Listen, this is for those of you who just feel like you're standing by the baggage. This is for those of you who just feel like, you know what I do at church? I can just do nursery duty. I just do setup. But this is those of you who, who just feel like you're not on the front lines. Here's the amazing beauty of the king named Jesus. He shares everything that he has earned as the only begotten son. He shares everything that's rightfully his as the obedient son who's completely filled the law of God. He shares everything with us. Everything. He doesn't spare anything. Here's what it means. He says, I'm going to love you so much, I'm going to make you new. I'm going to love you so much, I'm going to make you beautiful. I'm going to love you so much, I'm going to make you mine. I'm going to love you so much, I'm going to make you a joint heir with me in Christ Jesus. I'm going to love you so much that I'm going to share my throne with you. I'm going to give you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. I'm going to hold back nothing for you. Don't forget, this was a king that gave everything to those who either stood by the baggage or who one time said, let's stone him because he's really not a very good leader. What kind of king shares with people who don't deserve? Jesus. It's our lives that continually out crucify. It's our lives that we live like we don't even know him. It's our lives that those of us who do nothing but just hang out by the luggage He says, man, am I going to love you? And am I going to share it with you? And all that I have is going to be yours. What an amazing God. Shares everything else. Jesus, the ultimate king. You know why he's the ultimate king? Because he's willing to lose everything so that we could gain everything. He shares the love of his father, the treasures of heaven, with those who want to stone him and who call crucified. So when things go from bad to impossible, remember Jesus. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Remember the starting point. Remember the ending point. Remember that he doesn't lose one of those he loves. Remember he shares everything with us. And remember it is nothing is ever impossible with him. Because this Jesus, holy God and sinners have been united. The impossible has been bridged, and now we have hope. You know what Jesus is doing right now? You know what Scripture says Jesus is doing right now? It says that he now lives to intercede for us. David interceded with the Lord, saying, what do I do? This is what this means. We're closing with this. It means this, is that Jesus right now loves you so much that he is before the Father and he's reminding the Father that he shed his blood for you. He's reminding the Father as if he needs to, but he's interceding, pleading for us, pleading for us about his righteousness and his work and he's pleading with us and reminding them that one day we're going to complete this. Right now, Jesus represents you in heaven. And he gives us the privilege of representing him here on earth. In the midst of the pain, 
in the midst of the sorrow, to say, I have hope in my King. Let us pray. Father, I know there's probably many here whose lives have gone from bad to impossible. And God, for each one of us, I pray that you would focus our eyes on the one who can truly give us strength and the good news of the gospel that God, you are for us and God, you have rescued us and God, the work you've begun in us, you're going to complete it and we'll never find a moment that we're not in your presence. Thank you for that reality. God, I pray for those who are in the eye of the storm right now, that they wouldn't try to pull themselves up by the bootstraps or lean on their spouse or try to find strength in something else, that they'd turn to you and find a warrior and a merciful father. Father, I pray for anyone here who's never come to Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you'd give them eyes to see that this story is really about you, Jesus, and that you rescue us through your life, death, and resurrection. And that, God, if there's someone here that doesn't embrace you as Lord and Savior, that now would be the moment that they would surrender their life to you. Father, I, I thank you that we have hope, hope in the midst of all the storms in life, that not only are you for us, not only are you with us, but you're going to get us home, and it's going to be okay, and we're going to be like you. Thank you for that promise. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.